<laughs> well, it's for me, it's less about selling anything and more about like, if you start driving traffic, traffic is a massive SEO factor. We talk about right. links being, being an SEO factor and bounce rates and exit, you know, time on page. Um, they are. Traffic is a huge SEO factor. If you drive traffic to one of your categories, even if that category is not necessarily like your most winningest product oriented category, the category that is, is going to have a higher chance of ranking because the top of funnel, semi unrelated category of content that you're, that, that's clicking with Google, when you link from those ranking URLs to your other URLs that you are struggling to rank, they're going to rank more quickly because the other ones are ranking and have traffic. A ranking URL is has more link juice than a non-ranking URL. So rank some damn content, then link to the stuff that you want to sell products with. I wanna cause no problems. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters, we know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk, but right here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant. Well, hey everybody, welcome to another amazing Death to Vanilla podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Burkhart with Burkhart Creative Agency, and we're super excited to bring you all kinds of guests that have experience in marketing in various kinds of industries and in various kinds of functions uh, so that you are inspired by their story uh, and challenged by it and uh, just really pushed to try something new because we all know that the world that we live in is full of noise, it's full of creators and competition and so uh, the skill set we need to have and the tenacity that we need to have in uh, getting our brands noticed is only elevated and will only continue to be more elevated as the tools and, and uh, strategies of people grow and develop and so i'm super excited to have uh, james on the show today uh, he's done a lot of work with uh, building attention for brands online, uh, specifically in like the article web space uh, with articles and blog posts and, and some of those things. And so super excited to have him on. So James, if you could brag on yourself a little bit, you've, you've done some actually really incredible things that I think is worth people to know about. So they say, you know what? I should take that James guy seriously. Um, so feel free to introduce yourself, brag a little bit and talk about some of the the big projects that you've worked on and uh, then we'll dive into some of the more practical stuff. Sure, man. All right. Uh, thank you, Steve. My name is James Shear. I'm the VP of growth at Codeless. Codeless is a content marketing agency. Uh, we're kind of like you know, top tier, I would say, like we're, we're pricey and we're really good. Uh, so that's kind of like our, the, the market that we're hitting. Um, we work with some of, as you said, some largest businesses out there, some of those unicorns, like, Money.com, Robinhood, uh, you know, Freshworks, Kissmetrics, Adespresso, Chargeify, uh, like, you know, some pretty significant businesses, and we grow uh, their brands through content. So it's all about the creation of really high quality um, content executed with a clear, intentional strategy behind it. What topics are we writing on? What are the categories we're, we're looking to create content on? In what order? What does that content look like? What level of expertise are we bringing the thought leadership component of it? Like how do we incorporate all that stuff into a single cohesive, you know, monthly and quarterly strategy for these brands that grow uh, consistently and like with confidence, essentially. Um, <clears throat> we're primarily SaaS and B2B focused and that's where we had a lot of our success. So I think you know, in the past couple of years, the, the, the big names and the big stories would be Robin Hood, who um, 
though there's some you know controversy around them in the past couple of years with the stocks and stuff uh we were doing their uh glossary focused content which is like we did a thousand articles for them in 12 months and it was focused around like the what is definition content and uh you know some of that content is ranking on the first page fucking like hundreds of thousands of readers uh, driven to their site from that content very top of funnel but you know super valuable nonetheless monday.com most recently we're still working with them we did 825 articles for them in nine months, all of which are extremely high quality. Uh, so we kind of excel at doing high quality at scale um, from everything from doing like, you know, eight articles a month up to 100. Uh, so it's, uh, it's exciting, it's intense, uh, and I absolutely love it. So my, my background is in content strategy and content marketing. I was a writer and an editor and then head of inbound and now kind of doing content strategy and growth. So. Um, yeah, it's where my heart is for sure, is merit-based content creation to drive traffic leads and sales, man. That's awesome. So I think the first thing that comes to mind, especially since I have seen an absurd amount of ads um, from Monday, like on all kinds of platforms. So like they're spending some serious cash. Um, yeah. And I don't <laughs> even say that from an annoyance standpoint. I'm just saying like, for me, like monday.com is like almost a household name when it comes to anyone working in business, right? And so it's super impressive what they're doing, but it leads me to the question of for you, and especially since you're on like the content making side and, and the, the content marketing side, what to you is the big difference and differentiator between like those ad type attention and the uh, like the more organic traffic, if you will, attention that you guys are generating with your content? Like, how do you think of that differently? No, for sure. So when I mean, we're talking about the inbound and outbound kind of marketing campaigns, and ultimately for me, I like <laughs> to think of content as being merit-based marketing. Um, merit-based because what you're doing is you're creating something valuable and educational that attracts prospects to you. Um, you're not going out to them. I mean, you kind of are on the cert, but essentially they're finding you and they're judging your content as valuable and educational and exactly what they're looking for to solve their pain points. And that builds trust. And then when you say, you know, by the way, not only like here are all these strategies and actionable tips for, for people to, to, to decrease their pain point or achieve something or whatever. When you say, by the way, our software, our tool, our service makes this other pain point or this pain point a lot, you know, we, we can address that really clearly, then they trust that you know what you're talking about. So merit-based marketing is, is that it's, it's going it's, it's letting the, the, the prospects come to you and earning their attention by creating high value content. The other side of that PPC, social media ads, advertising, uh, demand generation, whatever, that's going to where you hope your prospects are and putting a big poster in front of their face and saying like, you need this and hopefully they do. And if they don't, then they push you to the side with an ad blocker. Um, and sure, ranking, you know, ranking organically is going to be beneath the paid ads on search. It's talking about the same SERP, you know, but how, do you, how are you getting there? The value of ranking organically as opposed to paying for it is that you are not an ad. And especially within the markets we're talking about, marketers who have been in this business for a long time, they know what an ad looks like, they know how it feels, and there's a certain lack of trust, which is inherent and subconscious to every interaction you have with an advertising campaign. However, that doesn't exist with a, with a piece of content. With a piece of content, so long as you provide value, clearly, concisely, quickly, um, 
then that trust only increases. So when you say, by the way, our service is legit, you should you know, look into how it can address your pain point. People say, okay, yeah, you're right. You've sold me, you know? Um, so a whole different kind of uh, approach and it really does come into, it does the, the trust component and the subconscious component come into play as much as anything else. Right. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but so from what I feel like I'm hearing, it's, it's not so much that it's, hmm. So you're, you're saying, so let me, I'll make two assumptions. So what you're, what I think I hear you saying is that it's typically more effective than ads because of the fact that it's built on their search intent. And then additionally, it's more effective because rather than asking for something, it's actually giving something first. Would that be fairly accurate or, or like maybe so, I mean, like effectiveness, effectiveness is, is, is challenging. Um, I would say that almost every business that we work with and, and talk to needs to be doing both um, because, you know, some search engine results pages are just too competitive for you to rank there organically, realistically. Um, but as far as like, which one, the thing with content is that let's talk about the sales funnel really quickly. And this is why e-commerce versus B2B and B2C versus B2C is really interesting with content marketing because the sales funnel of a B2B and SaaS business is about preliminary education. It's about talking like meeting your prospects based on what they're looking for, but they're not looking for you quite yet. They know that they have a pain point. They know that say, say it's money.com, massive company, uh, huge budget for this stuff. And their platform is project management software. Let's say that's what it is. So somebody says, I wanna make my team more productive. That's a pain point that I have is my team isn't as productive as it needs to be. That pain point is not addressed by you shoving a project management tool in their face with an advertisement. That pain point is addressed by saying, here are 10 ways that you can increase productivity of your team. And they're typing in, how do I make my team more productive? Or, and, and you're addressing every one of the actionable ways that they can do that. And the, you know, the third of those 10 is money.com's time management you know, platform uh, templates, make it easy for you to track your team's time and review how productive they're being at any given time. And within an educational piece of content that feels far less salesy. So for a B2B and SaaS prospect, the sales funnel is about education and it's about how can you like clearly communicate the value of your, your services ability to address their pain points, not immediately shoving it in their face because very few people who are typing in project management are actually looking for project management software. They're looking for, I wanna learn how to project manage, why to product manage, uh, what's involved in that, um, you know, what are the actionable strategies, best practices for doing so, and then maybe what are the platforms that make it easier for me. But it's a whole different buying process as opposed to buying a shoe. It's about education and only through content can you do that. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, um, I feel like that's the classic storytelling faux pas that most businesses have, which is they, they rarely talk about like the outcome that their product yeah. or service has. They just talk about the product or service. Um, which is cool, but like what what I think I hear you saying with 
um, like your like the lists and, and some of the educational pieces is they actually get to visualize how that software is going to change their life uh, and improve their business before you even get to a point where you're asking for the sale um, as mm-hmm. opposed to really shortening that time span of the decision of like, hey, are you like, do you want this? Yes or no? Um, yeah. And they're like, wait, I don't even know how this is going to affect my productivity. Um, and but then with reading the article, they would they would actually get a chance to visualize that and experience hopefully. that. Hopefully, but it's also yeah. possible that in that article, there's nothing that mentions money.com. All that article mm-hmm. does for that prospect is, 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 is educate and provide value. It's just 10 tips to increase productivity. That's it. But when that reader goes away, having gotten that value from money.com, now they trust money.com or any or whatever blog they're reading. And the next time they see that brand name, they have a positive association because that brand name delivered value to them and educated them on what they were looking to do and what pain points they were looking to address. So when they do get an ad from a retargeting or whatever campaign the money that comes running on on their blog readers, they don't immediately close it because they had a positive association with that brand. Or they get some other, or maybe they read another article and that article does have a bit of a sales component or, or platform is featured within the piece. And they don't bulk because education and value has already been delivered to them. So they have a whole mm-hmm. different first touch point with that brand rather than getting hit in the face with an ad. Right. That makes sense. You know? So so then obviously um, the articles are amazing for not only search intent, but for building relationships and, and building that positive first connection. Um, but then I also think about some of the volume that some of you guys are doing, right? You guys yeah. are talking about like a crazy volume of articles. Yeah, insane. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> what did you say? Was it a thousand articles in a month? Uh, Robin Hood, no, Robin no, no, no. Robinhood is a thousand a year and money.com did 825 in nine months. But oh, we also okay. have clients who, you know, we, we have clients who do five a month with us, 10 a month with us, 20 a month with us. Um, right. What I would say really briefly on the quantity perspective is that like the standard of quality of what you're putting out is paramount for sure. If you can hit that standard, do volume. Provided Mm -hmm. you can can meet that standard of really high quality thought leadership content that's clean and concise and valuable. Um, Expertise is included, custom images are included. Uh, You know, it's just a great piece of content. If you can do that, hundred times a month, do it a hundred times a month, but very few businesses can money.com, you know, funding rounds are very helpful for a lot of these businesses, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, um, but I would say if you can do four articles that are excellent a month, do four articles that are excellent a month. If you can do a hundred articles that are excellent a month, do a hundred articles that are excellent a month. Do not do a hundred bad articles a month or even four bad articles a month. There's no point. It's just a waste of money and time, energy, and resources. <laughs> for sure. Now, so walk us through what that looks like. So I know for me on my journey of defining what excellent is, is I, I've at least discovered it seems a little bit objective and it's entirely based on your audience, right? So how do you guys go about doing like some of your research and mm-hmm. some of your things to even define what excellent content is? for uh, these businesses? Luckily enough, I'm in a space that's not graphic design, where I would agree with you. I think that with 
you know, true site design and images and stuff, art for sure. So there's an objectivity there. All I'm trying to do as a content strategist is align with a single audience member. So single person, a single entity that I need to uh, align with what they think is good. And that's the Google search algorithm. It's the only run to care, that, that, that I care about. Um, once I align on all of that stuff, then I can cater to the client's audience. Then I can add flavor and branding and imagery and whatever, and like and color and, and, and be casual in the language or cuss or mm. be super professional or whatever. That stuff is for me beside the point. It's incredibly important, but I'm not gonna even mess with it until I have aligned with what Google is looking for in a piece of content. And Google is relatively clear about what they're looking for in a piece of content now. They release search algorithms or updates to the algorithm and they tell us what's in that update to the algorithm. They release their SEO factors pretty much, not anywhere near all of them, but they do a pretty good job actually now of communicating what they're looking for. So when brains don't do that, um, there's no real excuse from my side. Now, what does good look like as far as Google's concerned and as far as, far as what I'm seeing working? Um, for the SaaS and B2B space, uh, services space, fintech, uh, consulting, all of those spaces, um, non-B2C commerce, essentially what I'm talking about. You're looking <laughs> for an article that is between 1,250 and 2,500 words. Um, it needs to be on a very clean designed blog uh, page or post. Uh, it needs to have a really good site structure so that you are using uh, a like subdirectory blog or learning or resources or whatever, but a single subdirectory sub from your, this is for your posts, um, sub from your uh, primary domain name, domain URL. Um, page experience is incredibly important. May, May, June algorithm update that Google implemented uh, basically told us you need, you know, your, your, your site design needs to be really clean. You can't have a lot of heavy JavaScript or CSS in the back end. If you have any of that stuff, like try to pull as much as you can out of it. Otherwise the page load time is gonna be slow and you're gonna go down to the serve. So we're talking about clean, tight uh, site design and the back end. Um, if you're doing pop-ups, don't do them on mobile. In general, consider mobile optimization. Make, make sure your site and your themes are aligned for mobile optimization. And then the content itself needs to feature the key phrases that you're looking to target with every single article. Um, there are a lot of tools out there that allow you to check your drafted content against the competition to see if you're including the subject matter and the key phrases and the semantic stuff that those articles are including, then include it. Um, images are huge. Uh, and then the, the, the kind of the, the half backend stuff, the meta title, meta description, image um, alt tags, all of that stuff needs to be done as well. So excellent content, clearly communicated in a tight, clean, concise page between 1250 and 2500 words. Um, if you're doing more than uh, 2000 words, do a table of contents that navigates people down to the uh, headers. <clears throat> and um, yeah, then put a bunch of backlinks to it um, internally and externally. And that's pretty much the recipe for excellent content that works. And after that, we can talk about how to brand it and how to make it feel like you and all that kind of stuff. Get that right first. Right. Cool. I'm, I, I like the strategy part. So that, that appeals to me. <laughs> um, 
you know, like you were mentioned with like a graphic design side of things, like with me shooting video for me, it's like, what's an excellent video? Well, it's got to have beautiful lighting and uh, the right exposure and the right colors. And, and it's not like that's wrong. Yeah. Um, obviously, having something visual appealing because it's a visual medium is great. But at the end of the day, if I'm talking about something that my target market doesn't want to really learn about, then kind of doesn't matter. Um, but yeah. this is a great first step. So then so then from do you guys like build out like personas and stuff like that for these brands so they already know what they are and then how do you go about doing that because like i know for me like part of my process is like going through and like researching questions that people are asking about my industry like if it's on cura or google search or whatever else like that what's your guys's process for making sure that these articles are like highly relevant for them yeah so it starts with categories of content I'll quickly run you through like the content strategy process. Um, what I do is I talk to the client about what you know they want to talk about, what their product, you know, services stuff are into three or five categories. With uh, with Money.com, it was project management, uh, CRM, uh, time tracking, productivity, and remote and hybrid workspaces. Five categories. I mean, they actually had more, but let's say it was those five categories. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, within, within each category, you identify the pillars. Your pillars are your most competitive, uh, highest search volume key phrases that are kind of your pie in the sky. If I ranked first for that, I would retire kind of key phrases. Um, you create all of those pillars first because they need to be indexed early on. Then you create the support content for each of those pillars within, within each category. So you know the pillars, you know the support pieces for, for each pillar within each category. So three to five pillars uh, within each within three to five categories. As far as the personas go, um, by and large, our focus and the majority of our clients' focus is on, okay, we know we want to talk about. Um, we know what search terms will get us traffic. We will address the persona component within the pieces themselves. So the persona is about what, how technical is this article? If it's about project management, is it is it 10 tips to increase productivity in your team? Or is it, you know, a technical walkthrough to Scrum Ban and the like very intense side of project management with which has certifications and all kinds of fun stuff? Uh, that's based on the personas that you're identifying and the target reader for that article. But the other side of that is that once you have the categories up and running and support content is written, I recommend people do it all at the same time. Even if you're doing fewer of each cat, uh, fewer pieces um, per category, do all of the categories at the same time. Don't do one category and the next and the next and the next. The reason for that, the reason for that is because I've been doing this for about 12 years, and when I identify a category or pillars for a client, I at no point do I feel 100% confident that that category is going to click with Google or that pillar is going to click with Google. With so we we had another client called Early Bird and they are the opposite of Money.com. They're like a they didn't have a, a CMS when we got them. They published their blog kind of like the month that we started working with them. No domain authority, nothing. Early stage startup. Um, we identified three three categories of content for them. We did all within the within the first quarter, and then after that quarter had was over, we reviewed what had clicked with Google, and we identified that their gifting, their financial gifting app that we identified that gifting was the one that just clicked. Google, for whatever reason, the content is all the same quality. It's supported in the exact same way. It has the same images and the same meta titles and description. And like, it's good content. 
Right. Gifting happened to click. So, okay, sweet. Let's double down on gifting in Q2. You know, so the persona component is within each piece, but the, you know, how to actually create a content strategy that drives traffic leads and sales in a six month or nine month period, that's about clear intention, supporting content, and then doubling down on what works when you measure after the fact, about two months after the first piece of content's published, start measuring. That's interesting. I, um, that's super challenging. I kind of view things from like, what does a company want to sell the most of, and then trying to figure that out. But I kind of feel like you're going it from the opposite uh, end of things, which is like, let's find out what actually people or like what Google really wants to talk about um, and then sell that instead. <laughs> well, it's for me, it's less about selling anything and more about like, if you start driving traffic, traffic is a massive SEO factor. We talk about right. links being, being an SEO factor and bounce rates and exit, you know, time on page. Um, they are. Traffic is a huge SEO factor. If you drive traffic to one of your categories, even if that category is not necessarily like your most winningest product oriented category, the category that is, is going to have a higher chance of ranking because the top of funnel, semi unrelated category of content that you're, that, that's clicking with Google, when you link from those ranking URLs to your other URLs that you are struggling to rank, they're going to rank more quickly because the other ones are ranking and have traffic. A ranking URL is has more link juice than a non-ranking URL. So rank some damn content, then link to the stuff that you want to sell products with. It's like a it's like an aqueduct. You got the water coming in, you're like, ah, like I want to go to these different places. That's yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That that uh I like that. That's kind of cool. So okay, cool. So so all I can think of when I think about ranking for all the categories and writing content for all of them at the same time is, wow, that sounds like a lot of work, um, especially for <laughs> a newer company. I mean, let's be honest, like I know, you know, we're in the middle of that, like the great resignation or whatever. And there's so many people who are starting businesses on their own um, from scratch and all that other jazz, like they've got a long hill uphill battle for themselves. Um, but you have some experience in building teams that are creating content. So I would love for you to walk through, like, I mean, I guess from the very beginning, like, let's talk about like, so you were like a copywriter. So I'm sure you had a lot of experience in this. So you kind of knew what you're looking for. Um, but how did you end up going about building these teams? And, um, you know, how do you really maximize their use? Because a lot of content is being made by you guys. So I'd love to hear about how you guys are doing that. It's a hell of a question, man. All right. Um... You're right. It's a little open-ended. No, no, it's legit. It's, it's, it's big. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to say it concisely. It, it's also very different for businesses who have significant marketing budget and businesses that don't. Um, <coughs> I say that, but there are a few general rules of thumb that I think are valid for every business. The first of which is to adopt software. Um, firstly, there's no point in creating content at all. So I mean, any money on content, if it's not a good opportunity for your business, if it's far too competitive or if it's unrelated to what you want to talk about. So invest in a tool like SEMrush, Moz, Ahrefs uh, to determine which of those keywords phrases are actually worth messing around with. Then uh, look into a tool that basically allows you to grade the content you're creating against the competition. A tool like Phrase or ClearScope or MarketMuse 
um, SEO Surfer, those, those tools will allow you to see what the competition is doing structurally within their pieces, what headers they're having, what subject matter they're covering. And then once you've drafted a piece of content, see uh, how it's comparing to those. Then mess with a tool like Grammarly or um, you know, Hemingway app or whatever to make sure that the content you're, that is being created is good from a grammatical perspective. Then maybe mess around with AutoCrit, which is a tool that uh, allows you to check content against like for, for plagiarism essentially. The reason that I start with tools and in general, my stack is because you're going to want to use freelancers and you're going to want to use good freelancers from all over the world. But what you want to do is this, this is the cost wise, but you need to make sure that the standard of content they're delivering you is excellent. And the way you do that is you require them to put their content through these tools and then say, I have my content is, there's no plagiarism, I checked it in Autocrit. There's no errors in Grammarly, I checked it in Grammarly. There's no, it, it, al it aligns with, with uh, SEO-oriented content within, uh, within the SERP. I checked it within ClearScope, Phrase, Market Means. And I submitted it by Google Docs so that you can see exactly my revision history and everything I did. And then your editor, whoever that is, doesn't have a three-hour, four-hour job. Because what you're trying to do is any business is maximize the time and value, uh, the time and value of your expensive people, whether that's yourself or whether that's an expensive SEO manager or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So use the more affordable people alongside expensive software, and your total costs are gonna are gonna stay down. <clears throat> so that's basically what we do. We have about 65, 75 writers, and the, the the cost structure for each of them varies wildly. And so we use tiered, uh, you know, um, labeling essentially of, or tiered categorization of, of writers. For money.com, for instance, some of the content is very technical. So we have advanced PM writers, we have intermediate PM writers, and then we have like SaaS, um, SaaS generalists. And, but no matter what, no matter what tier, how expensive those writers are, some of them are five to 750 bucks an article, man. Some of them are a lot less. Um, no matter what though, every piece of content has to go through our process and the software that we use. So that when it comes out the end, our expensive editors don't have to spend a huge amount of time on it. And the project management tools that we use kind of make that process of them checking off each box to make sure that they did all the things really, really smooth and easy. We can see wherever the stage of each piece of content at a given time. So tap into software, rely on software, outsource writers if you need them. Um, and then pay expensive people well, but maximize what they can do in any given day with software. My other recommendation is that genuinely, if you don't have a lot of experience with this and you don't have writers in-house, you don't have a lot of editors in-house, mess around with an agency because there's some really fantastic content agencies out there um, who have been doing this for a long time, Codeless included, uh, who it's, 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 it's like if you need, you know, your house rewired. If you try to do it yourself, you could possibly, you could very easily get burned. And it's not about getting somebody in to like, for my side, like strategy-wise, it's not about getting somebody in who can do the thing. It's getting somebody in who can look at your house and say like, oh, you don't need to do this, or you do need to do this, or this whole thing is is, is going to electrocute you in the night, you know. Hmm. So knowing what to do and then how to do it, 
requires a lot of experience and a lot of you know um, understanding of, of, of what we're doing and why. And an agency like Codis or any of the great agencies out there um, will get you there a lot faster. And the cost is actually probably not a lot higher than you trying to mess around with it yourself, especially because the results are going to be more not guaranteed, but definitely more reliable than if you try to go with more. Well, at the end of the day, people are buying results from you. So you're the one that has to worry about employees totally. and replacing people and all those other things. And they don't. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. In fact, often an agency is about as expensive as hiring someone full time, including their benefits, um, depending on what they're, you're, you're paying for. Yeah. <clears throat> And if they quit, uh, your operation doesn't come to a complete halt. Um, so that's always nice. Um, okay, cool. So I love that. So from, from a, a bigger business perspective, um, you're basically saying, you know, a, a very expensive, very good writer shouldn't be going through and double checking SEO validity. Um, that's not what they're getting paid for. So I'm guessing that when you talk about like excellent content and you talked about kind of like the vertical of like for Google and then for the mm -hmm. client, I'm mm -hmm. assuming then that the, the talented writer is more on the client side of making sure that this, the tone and the way it's communicated is, you know, in line with the branding, the brand messaging, the brand feel um, mm -hmm. that they're doing, as opposed to the other writers are making sure like this aligns with like, you know, good practices for Google. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we, um, I would say the main role of the writer is actually to bring expertise to the subject matter, which maybe like not every agency necessarily will pay expert writers, but we do because it's, it's, it's a core differentiator for us to have expertise. Um, but every single client that we have has a writer's guide, which dictates their brand guidelines of what they're looking for, how they're looking for, how they want to be talked about, how they want to talk, how much of their brand they want to put in every piece, whether they like M dashes, all of that stuff. And that document is kind of the Bible for every writer and every editor. It's created in the first kickoff kind of month of working with a client. <clears throat> so the writer is required to align with that style guide. And then the editor is checking that style guide when they're editing the piece of content. Now, if you're a business and you're doing your own editing or whatever, and without an agency, before you get any freelancer or any writer in, I would recommend you create that writer's guide because you need them to be very clear on what it means to sound like you and what it means to talk about your business the way you wanna talk about. And then if you bring in any other editors, freelance or not, you want them to have a clear documentation of what they're looking for and what good means to your brand. Because A, it'll be better for Google because a lot of your style guides should be, or some of your style guides should, can be Google oriented, you know, making sure that you have a definition section on the top, making sure that paragraphs are more than five sentences, making sure that you have bullet point lists, whatever, whatever. These are all both formatting, branding, and SEO oriented guidelines. Um, but either way, you need, you need essentially to split the load of writing, editing, and publication um, between the people who are managing it, but they're doing it all based on a single document that you have created to say this is what it looks like when it goes live. 
Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. Um, I got COVID like three weeks ago, and I've been like coughing oh, yeah. ever since. Even though I feel fine, it's super annoying. Um, yeah, it's an issue okay. on the podcast. I'm actually coughing as well. I'm just muting myself every second or two. <laughs> I've been doing that too, but except for right then, that was just horrible. Um, okay, so what do you think? What do you think that 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 brands are really and, and companies? What are they really overlooking when it comes to this content marketing piece? Like, what mm. like obviously you're in it every day and so you see the value of it but like when you talk to different brands are there just certain parts of this that they really just don't like don't get or like don't really understand that you find yourself like having conversations about kind of often yeah yeah, yeah. i would say there's an understanding or a belief that seo is so incredibly arbitrary that if you publish 100 pieces of content onto publish 100 pieces of content five of them are going to click and rank and 95 of them or whatever are just going to go into the abyss. And there's no point in even trying to go looking for them. And that's the main problem that I see with businesses is believing that any piece of content that you publish is a lost cause if it's not ranking or doesn't have traffic. The fact of the matter is that the optimization of existing URLs, existing content is lower hanging fruit than doing anything new. So if you're buying a domain or you have a blog that was like you heavily invested in it a couple of years ago and then it kind of died off and you're like looking at all of these, maybe you have a couple articles that are, that are driving traffic and you're like, oh, sweet, okay, that one's still there. But you have 90 odd that aren't. Go back into those articles, take a look at where they're at, where they are in the ranking positions, what the URL structure is, can you rewrite it? Can you optimize it? Can you rework, can you update it? Um, because and we actually do this, like one of the main kind of things that I have, I'm kind of proud to bring to the table with Codeless is the idea of optimization of client content. You review the URLs for every site that you're a client that are ranking between 11th and 30th position for a higher volume key phrase, say 250, 500 per month. Okay, what are those URLs? Now, what do they look like? And this is where one of those optimization tools, phrase, clear scope, marketing use can come in. You drop in the existing URL, tell it what the target key phrase is that you're ranking for in 12th position. And it says you're missing 100, you know, 500 words and you're missing these semantic key phrases in this subject matter. Update this article, make it clean, make it tight, update the meta title, meta description, update the images, and then just update it. Don't, don't republish it, just hit update in WordPress or whatever and track where the ranking position that was at. And if it's an 11th position, it's, a, it's probably a pretty good article. But right. if, if it's 11th position that was published a year ago, it's a really good article. Otherwise it would have gone to 50th. It just has, it never quite tweaked it. And if you weren't doing close enough analytic review, you could very easily just not have noticed that it was almost to the first page and never quite got there. So you update it and moving from 11th to 9th, suddenly you're driving traffic with that URL. So the idea that every the content that isn't ranking naturally is a lost cause and you need to be doing more content, new content all the time, more, 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 is the biggest error that I see um, business making right now. Optimize your shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? No, that yeah. makes total sense. I mean, like we're literally uh, from like a like YouTube SEO standpoint going through and mm -hmm. optimizing all content because 
we're looking at stuff and saying like, okay, well, if we, if we uh, screwed up our thumbnails and they don't look quite how they need to look, all we do yeah. is update the thumbnail. And then when people are searching for, you know, video content marketing or whatever it is, and they see our thumbnail and they actually click on it because it looks cooler than it did before, yeah. Um, yeah. then that's good. Like, that's awesome. Cause I didn't have to shoot and edit a new video or upload it or do any of those other things. Like, so it's kind of funny that those are kind of parallels that we're experiencing too, is like awesome. updating old stuff is uh, a lot less work. Um, uh, and so, and it, and it actually does produce value for you guys, um, mm -hmm. which is really awesome. Although the idea of trying to like rejuggle what someone's already put out there sounds a little bit more terrifying from an organizational standpoint than creating it brand new, but that's just mm. me. That's, that's not, feels very overwhelming, but that's why you have a team, right? So. <laughs> yeah, that's why you have a team. That's also why you tap into software. You know, if, if, if you have a freelancer, you can give them an existing URL and say, hey, I need you to make this hit the target score in Fraser, or Market Reviews or ClearScope and give it back to me. And then they do that. And then as far as the competition is concerned, you've aligned with what that's looking for. And then you give them the URL, they give it back to you, you republish. It's relatively straightforward, so long as you don't have a lot of like, don't, don't get, you know, kill your darlings. Don't, 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 get, don't get possessive of the content that you produced two, two years ago. Because if you're in SaaS, B2B, fintech the majority of the markets that we kind of are talking to that content's outdated anyway man so yeah that's fair yeah or even going back through and just changing all your guides to like the guide from 2022 and it's like oh, from yeah. 2019 <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah a yeah, little yeah. little title change never hurt anyone um out of just plain curiosity right because we mm. obviously live in a world <clears throat> that is highly visual um video i mean i'm in video because i see it just continuing to grow specifically on social media how yeah. have you seen have you seen video help with uh, article writing as far as like getting better rankings or, or how does those things mesh like obviously there's uh you know transcribing video so that it's searchable and all those other things how have you have you guys incorporated video in anything you're doing or like and if you have, yeah. what have you done and, and what kind of results have you seen from it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually had a, so yes, we, across the board we do. We, we hired a, had a, a video 18 months ago, kind of poster from a video production company. And she's kind of brought video into primarily the optimization space. So when I come on board, when I came on board Codes in 2019, <clears throat> I was coming from a inbound marketing role rather than a, uh, editorial role at the time. So what I was bringing in was okay. How can we, uh, what, how can we bring in marketing elements to the content that Codeless is producing? And video was at the core of that. Um, we used it. So uh, a case study, an anecdote that I can bring forward is that um, we had a client called Saving for College, and they were a substantial publication that did uh, student loan. Um, financial aid type content for students. Huge location. I mean, that's, that's subject matter. I think there's, there's a million topics on that because you can do every single state and every single state has multiple different types of whatever, 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 um, at every university. So huge publication. And what we did was we audited their 
11s, which is the optimization opportunities I, I, I alluded to before. The, the URLs ranking between 11th and 30th position for a higher volume key phrase. By the way, quick note, make sure they're not ranking higher for a higher volume key phrase, because when you optimize an 11, an optimization opportunity, you could very easily cannibalize the better ranking position, because changing the structure and the subject matter, et cetera, could could as yeah, it's, it, cannibalization is an SEO term, but it could cost you the existing ranking position that it's actually ranking better for. So be careful with that. Because of optimizing for the wrong phrase. Yeah. So say okay. say say uh, you're doing uh, project management is the URL, project management software, whatever project management. You check it with an href to see where it's ranking. It's ranking eleventh for project management examples, project management best practices, and you're like, sweet, I'm gonna optimize for that. What you don't know is it was ranking seventh for project management mm. and you just changed the entire structure of it to be example focused and you lost the other components, subject matter, semantic key phrases, secondary key phrases that resulted in ranking on the first page for a higher volume key phrase. But unless you check what it's every, every key phrase is ranking for, that URL specifically, you could risk cannibalizing it. Anyway, same for college. So I identified their optimization opportunities. <clears throat> we exported it and it was like 275 odd URLs or whatever, they're ranked between 11th and 30th. And then we looked over them. And as you well know, not every subject lends itself to video. In fact, within their space in particular, not that many did because a technical walkthrough of the student loan space for X particular type of student loan and this financial aid structure or whatever, um, you can make good video out of it, but it's not, it doesn't immediately say, oh, that will do well on social. It's not very like problem. Exactly. Um, so what we did is we identified 15, 15 or 25. I think it was 15 URLs that we could create uh, synopses videos for. <clears throat> so we did, as you, like we did cuts essentially. We did a two minute cut, which was a quick introduction and then like a breakdown of the primary uh, elements of those, like uh, those in the article, the primary best practices and tips or whatever in the article. Um, and then we cut the intro for social, um, uh, the full thing for YouTube, and then an embed of the full cut as well beneath the introduction of the article. Um, and across the board, we saw a 20, no, 122% ranking increase for, on average, for the 15 articles that we did. <clears throat> So essentially, if they were ranking, um, you know, in 10th position, they would rank in fourth. If they were ranking right. in 14th position, they would rank in ninth or something. Um, so just really clear success story. I think the challenge with that and the challenge for a lot of businesses, the video is very expensive. If you're, if you're actually going to add a good quality video to every article you're doing, you're, you know, you're increasing the cost of every article you're doing by 150, like, you know, by 50%, because right. at least. If you're paying 800 bucks for a piece, you're paying probably 800 bucks for a two minute video. So yeah. um, plus, um, so I would recommend people do mess around with it. Cause I do, I do, I think it really does work. I would say, look into your optimization opportunities or your highest traffic articles that um, are really, really like, they're the competitive ones that you really want to rank for. Um, because then that investment, you'll get a better ROI. If you do it for every piece, you're gonna run out of money. But if you do it for the ones that are really excellent or the ones that are just off the first page for a really high volume search term, 
then you could actually drive some significant results. So if we bounce back just from a strategic uh, point, I want to see if I can connect some dots and mm. see if I'm, if I'm learning from you properly, um, which is if we jump back to your previous example, which is you have, you know, three to five categories, probably five mm -hmm. that you're trying to, mm -hmm. uh, you're experimenting with and you're making content for each one of those at the same time to see yep. which one builds. Maybe yep. what you do is then you find the one that's really catching fire and then continue yeah. to optimize with video in that space. So you're not like throwing away all the other stuff and it's not like the others are doing poorly, uh, but this is gonna do excellent and you know you're hitting pay dirt with it. And then you go and you say, you know what? Send open up a can on this and add video. Is that kind of like strategically 100%. what you guys would think through? I mean, that, that's, that's a rule of thumb across the board. <laughs> so whatever category clicks, whatever pillar ranks, you go back into that pillar immediately and right. you optimize it and you tweak it and you update it and make sure it's excellent. And that, I mean, your content always needs to be really high quality, but it really needs to be high quality when it starts getting traffic and actually ranking. Right. So create optimized content. And then as soon as you're on the first page, you're getting like over a thousand page views a month or even over a hundred page views a month, depending on what you're looking at, go back in and make sure that it's, it's as good as it can be. Um, conversion oriented, adding CTAs, <clears throat> maybe even adding some product elements. <clears throat> and then, yeah, invest in video, invest in transcripting, whatever, whatever else you need to do to make it just like a top tier piece of content. Right. No, I think that's, I think that's good to think through just because at the end of the day, it's like, no matter how big the business is, they have some sort of a limit on their spending. Right. And so, no you know, so if they're doing, you know, 10 other things, it still means that they can only spend so much on the articles or only so much on video or what have you. Yeah. So I think that's just a good uh, strategic way of looking at it is like video is going to make a difference. Video is probably too expensive to do for everything, but here's what you can use it for. And I think that's super helpful because, um, you know, it's like you said, like you, you guys took some of the, the video content and used it for and repurposed it for social media. <laughs> And I think that's awesome because at the end of the day, like you kind of are creating a lot of content for social media and there's an ROI component there that can be a little hard to nail down. But if you know that you're using it for multiple places, that's a big win. Like I'm making my articles better and I'm making my YouTube better and I'm showing up on social media. That to me seems like a great use of money uh, when it comes to um, marketing spend, so. I mean, also you're repurposing the, the video script is a, re, is a repurpose, repurposement of the blog article, you know? So the blog article informs and to a certain extent, like is the script with a lot of tweaking and a lot of changing, but scripting, you know, a, a, an article video is not a massively time consuming thing because you're just hitting on the subheaders. You're hitting on the points, uh, the pain points exposed in the introduction. <laughs> the actionable best practices and strategies or whatever within the piece that are already right there. So rather than like having to, you know, do completely net new video content from scratch, you're repurposing written content and then you're repurposing the video and then maybe you're turning it into, you know, a webinar or a pod, you know, like whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, but it comes from that long form, super educational, super high value written content. Absolutely. That's fantastic. <laughs> Well, let's see here. We're, we're kind of coming up on time and I want to make sure I'm uh, respectful of your time, especially since it's probably rather late where you're at right now. Oh, yeah. um, so is uh, just to kind of wrap it up, 
is there anything else about content marketing that you guys are doing that you think would be important for people to know? If you decide to pick uh, one thing. It would be optimization. And I know I already touched on it. Well, I talked about it pretty much at length. That is the one takeaway that I would hope listeners kind of write down or walk away from this piece with. Um, the idea that your existing content is not ranking isn't lost. From an SEO perspective, existing URLs are easier to rank than new URLs. Google says that recency is a massive component of their, um, you know, whether they rank a, a URL or not. And it may be, but there sure as hell is a lot of bad, you know, URLs from 2018, articles from 2018 that are still ranking the first page for competitive key phrases because domain authority, backlinks, primarily backlinks, internal linking, um, which are still live to those URLs. If you have existing content that has internal and, and, and external referring domains and backlinks, it'll be far easier to repurpose that, to just remove all of the content on that page if the URL is legit um, and relevant to what you still want to talk about. Remove everything, put new content in there. Another thing, and we don't necessarily do this, but this is something to try at least. If you have a bunch of content or URLs that is not ranking for anything and has no existing backlinks, Otherwise, you're going to get a 404. So do not do this if you have existing backlinks. Um, do a 301 redirect from those URLs to your optimization opportunities. Um, because I would rather you redirect it to existing content than removed existing URLs. So don't remove any URL. But if it, sorry, if it does have any backlinks, feel free to, to do a 301, even if it has no traffic whatsoever. So tidy up, do a content audit and tidy up your blog. Optimize what needs to be optimized. That's on that's an optimization opportunity. And if it doesn't have a chance or the URL structure is super weird and wonky and has the word 2019 in it, do a 301 redirect to something that has a chance of ranking and has significant you know, opportunity for traffic for you. Um, across the board, do not be afraid to optimize existing content as opposed to just writing, 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 writing that name all the time. Love it. it. Awesome. <laughs> cool. No, that, that I think that's word to wise. I mean, I think that's amazing. I think that you hit something on the head, which is like, I think uh, culturally and the social media platforms are training us to continually create new uh, because of the fact that, um, at least for me, because um, I because I don't come from your world, right? Like I don't come from like long time, long form content that lasts forever, right? I came from like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, I posted an Instagram post. Um, shoot, now it's gone forever. Um, yeah. No one's ever going to see it. Like, wow, that was cool for like 30 seconds. And so um, that's the world I grew up in. And so at the end of the day, like how I've been trained and how a lot of people, quite honestly, who've been you know raised up and that have been trained is like, it's new, 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 new constant, you know, trending stuff, new stuff, this song, that song, this filter, that filter. And at the end of the day, um, you know, what I, what I, what I get a sense from you talking about is like, no, like, like when you're, when you're talking about optimizing, it's like, no, like you don't actually have to create new stuff to actually make an impact on your business and impact on the traffic and your, you know, developing your leads and stuff like that. Like just yeah. make sure what you have is really, really awesome. 
and also make new stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, but yeah, yeah, but we get caught up in this like treadmill uh, that we can't get off of. And the reality is, is there's plenty of things that we can spend our time building that are going to last a long time. Um, like these articles and blog posts. So I mean, talk about, I've, talk about ROI, you know, you spend a bunch of money initially and it feels like it, oh, it's not ranking. What a waste of time, energy, resources, and budget, man. Um, but the beauty of content is that it does take a while. And, but if it gets there through optimization or through organic, whatever, some miracle of the SEO gods, it stays there. It stays in the first page, driving traffic, still being relevant exclusively to your, to your target market because no one else is typing in project management software except somebody who wants to buy project management software. And it continues to rank and optimization of that URL is far less costly than doing a new piece. So invest highly in the, in, in the front at the beginning, keep an eye on those URLs in the long term and tweak them, update them, optimize them every six months, one year, whatever it is. And they'll just keep delivering traffic leads and sales to you. And the ROI will just go up and up and up and up and up. But it costs a bit in the beginning for sure. <laughs> you gotta have uh, clients with some uh, grit and determination to uh, spend all that money and uh, be willing to wait. Or but... a content strategist who can sell them on long-term results. Exactly. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're trying, if you're spending money for someone to build up even like a social media platform, like you're not going to get mm -hmm. followers overnight. So like you're, you're going to be creating content and showing up for a long time before you have a, an audience uh, of which the percentage of can actually drive some revenue for you. So I guess it's long, long term, no matter how you look at it. So yeah, man. no silver bullets. Cool, man. Well, uh, where can uh, people find you and get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so codeless.io is the, is the website. Feel free to book a content strategy session there. Um, or, you know, if, honestly, email me at james at codeless.io. I'm happy to get involved in strategy with anybody out there. Uh, or Twitter at JD Shear. Last name is S-C-H-E-R-E-R. -E -E uh, yeah, anywhere. I'm around. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. It was, it was, it was good fun. I wanna cause no problems. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Yeah. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, yeah. but you know when you see imposters, yeah. we know how to read them faces. Same way you know how to read them comments. Yeah. If you wanna talk, let's talk. But right here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant.